Well, thank you guys for being here with us. Like she said, my name is Matt, the associate pastor. Pastor Roland is preaching at his pastor's church in North Carolina. North Carolina, anyway. They're out there. They're having a good time. We got word this morning that although the opposition got in their way in the beginning, uh, Pastor Roland brought the fire. So God is moving out there. And continue to keep them, them in prayer. They're actually attending the Every Nation School of Empowerment. And we want to be able to see God's spirit move in a mighty and present and personal way here in our church. So pray that God will meet them and that God will refresh them and equip them so we get to live in the overflow. Amen? But today we're going to continue on through the book of Acts. Last week, Pastor Roland concluded his sermon with the end of Acts chapter 7. And at the end of Acts 7, Stephen, who was one of the first leaders in the church, one of the first deacons appointed to help with the food distribution, kind of got killed for his faith. He became the first martyr. And that event catalyzed a very difficult and confusing and chaotic moment in the life of the church. And I think there are moments in our lives where we feel the same way. Things are chaotic and confusing, and they don't make sense. But we don't want those things to stop us, which is what we're going to talk about today. So the title of today's sermon is Even When It Doesn't Make Sense. But let's start this time together in prayer. God, thank you that you're here. That you're here with us this morning. You also want to be here with us through every moment of life that we find difficult, that we find dirty, that we find confusing, that weighs on our souls. And Lord, you want to teach us how to navigate those moments that don't make sense. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to see by your Holy Spirit, to lift up our eyes and get a glimpse of what you might want to accomplish in those kinds of moments and help us learn how to partner with you and walk with you to experience your best for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I think we can all agree and we can all attest to the fact that opposition and obstacles are inevitable. I think I wrote them differently in the notes. Obstacles and opposition are inevitable. They, you know, whatever, they're relatives. Obstacles a lot of time refer to the things in the world, they just happen. We live in a sinful world that's broken and marred and damaged, and as a result, obstacles are going to come. At the same time, opposition can happen as well, and that's when somebody goes above and beyond either the enemy or a person who is motivated by the enemy or their own selfishness. They get in the way of what you're trying to accomplish, even though God is trying to get you to do. And I was reminded of this fact that obstacles and opposition are inevitable about a month ago as we were on our way to a ministry trip. So at this point, most of you know that Pastor Mark Young, our friend, invited us out to Tacoma, Washington to serve their church. He and his wife, Ruth, had just had their second baby. Micah's doing well, praise God. But Pastor Mark wanted to be able to help his family. He said, hey man, I don't have all the time in the world to preach. Would you come preach for us? And of course, I said, yes, I look forward to seeing you, look forward to seeing the church. I told Jerrica, and she said, hey, let's do it together. And we were excited. We thought to ourselves, we're all in this together, you know? And let's go make a difference. Let's go be a blessing. And we had the most noble intentions, and we were ready to go. And the day comes, and we had prepared. Our things were packed. We're getting ready to leave. And right before we go, I'm feeding Astrid. And I'm feeding her and feeding her. And it's time for me to get up and load the car and of course, when I stand up, my foot slips on her little metal high chair, and I slip and I injure my foot. And I'm very well acquainted with foot injuries, for those of you who know me well. So I hurt my foot right before I have to go load the car. And now I'm loading the car with our big stroller, the double stroller, and our suitcases, just kind of pivoting off one foot, and like complaining and praying under my foot, like, God, let this be the last thing that goes wrong. It's not the last thing that went wrong. So we get in the car. And we feel a lot better because now we're headed to the airport and we had allotted extra time 
to go park in the long-term garage over at Terminal 1. And we thought, hey, you know, there might be a lot of people. It's Labor Day weekend. Let's go ahead and give us extra time so we can make sure we're not running late and we're not worried about anything. We can just take our time. So we were ready to have a lot of obstacles, but not as many as we encountered. I thought we would have to search for parking in that garage. Turns out we had to search for a different garage because it was so busy that they closed the thing. I had never, I didn't know they could do that. So we pull up to Terminal 1 and there are like little signs that somebody wrote on. It says, hey, sorry, Terminal 1 is closed, but the economy lot's open. So we thought, we said, okay, let's drive around the airport before we uh, call mom and ask her to bring us and leave work. So we drive around the airport. You do that little five-minute loop. And we come back, and we go to the economy lot instead of the long-term lot. And I don't know if it was wrong, the sign at the long-term lot, or if they had run out of space in the meantime, but the economy lot was closed too. So now we're getting worried. Because now the long-term lot is full, and the economy lot next to it is full. So we had to park at Terminal 3 and load up the stroller and the suitcases and the kids into a shuttle that took us to Terminal 1. So we're in Terminal 1, and we get to the checkpoint. But it was the wrong checkpoint. And it was far away from our gate. So I know that as I'm getting through this checkpoint, we're going to have to walk about a quarter mile to a tram that will take us to the gate. So I'm like, okay, i got to get my sore foot ready to endure this. Got to get Jerrica and the kids ready. As soon as we get the stroller back, we're going to run. But they forgot to give us our stroller at TSA. And we had to ask for the stroller. And of course, we're wrong for asking for the stroller. We forgot. So we finally get the stroller. We make that really brisk pace. We get all the way there. And we settle onto the plane. And then Astrid starts to cry. Washington, or Las Vegas to SeaTac is a two-and-a-half-hour flight. Astrid cried for about three and a half hours. The whole way. But it's okay, because once we got to the SeaTac area, we settled into our hotel, Astrid was excited and happy to be in a new environment, so excited and so happy, in fact, that she didn't want to sleep that night. So at the end of the day, I have to drive up and down the road of a highway I had never been on, in a city I had never been in, just so we could get some sleep. Obstacles and opposition are inevitable. I had to text some people in the prayer group, what's that? Rika saw it, right? It's like, hey guys, can you pray for us? Because I think somebody doesn't want us to be here. We are running into obstacles and opposition. This is like an obstacle course from hell. It very literally might have been. So we see that in our lives, but we also see that in the Bible. And we're going to see that today in our main text, which comes from Acts chapter 8. Now, we're going to focus in on the life of a particular individual. We call him Philip the Evangelist. Uh, the Evangelist is not his last name. We, there's Philip the Disciple, who was one of the 12 that followed Jesus. And just use that. We lengthen it to uh, distinguish them. If you need a last name for the guy, he can be Philip the Evangelista. All right? So that's who we're talking about. Philip. Talking about our boy Phil. Philly. Go Eagles. Anyway, Philip is uh, one of the first deacons, one of the first leaders appointed to help serve the church with that food distribution program in Acts chapter 6. In Acts 6, actually, they name Stephen as the first person who was appointed to lead and facilitate, and the second person they name is Philip, 
So they come up together, they're appointed as leaders together, and exciting things are happening in God's church. People are having a great time, people are being saved, healed, and delivered. Then the opposition starts to come. And this is when Stephen is martyred for his faith, being stoned. And as he's stoned, he looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus standing and applauding him. But after Stephen gets home and he's with the Lord and everything's peaceful for him, it all breaks out against the church. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. It's actually worse than it sounds. I didn't know this until this week, but I looked at the word persecution. In Greek, it actually implies a hunt. People were being chased and pursued and hunted down like animals. And this is happening to almost every Christian in Jerusalem. Almost everywhere that it could happen. So they're running for their lives and they're running for their safety. And then they have to leave the city. Many of them probably having to leave their homes. And the church goes from this moment of extreme growth to extreme pain. And extreme confusion. And while most of us probably haven't experienced obstacles and opposition of that sort, we've definitely encountered our own obstacles, our own opposition in our own lives. These obstacles can come in different shapes and sizes. Maybe you're like us at the airport trying to do something good. Maybe even trying to do something for God. But it seems like nothing is going the right way. It seems like everything is stacked up against you. Or all the odds are against your favor. Or maybe, you know, you're in an environment where people are hostile to you or hostile to God or hostile to both. It's difficult. These obstacles happen from time to time. Maybe you've had to deal with the fallout of the economy or someone else's decisions. We've run into different obstacles. All of us have. We're probably thinking about some obstacles and opposition that we're encountering right now. And when these things happen in our lives, we might feel like we've been pushed off course or even that we are outside of God's will. And this is especially true when these obstacles feel like they blindside us. They might come out of nowhere, or it's especially strong or forceful. And when these things happen, it's like a push, shoving you off track, shoving you off course, taking you out of where you thought you'd be in life. You know, the end of that first day in Washington, we reached a breaking point, and Jericho asked the question, was it even God's will for us to come? Was it even worth it? We wondered whether we were doing the right thing. We wondered whether we were in God's will because of how frustrating the situations were that day. And that was just one bad day. It's like that one song they play at the end of American Idol when people get eliminated. Like, you had a bad day. The, P, the early Christians in Acts 8, they had more than a bad day. Let's go on. Verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. These are our forefathers, the mothers of the faith. These are real people with real emotions. How do you think Philip felt when all this was happening? It's, it's certain that Stephen and Philip were co-workers, co-laborers in the kingdom of God. It's extremely likely that they were really good friends. So when Stephen is killed, Philip's over here wondering, that's one of my best friends. All he was doing is standing up for Christ, and then people start to get arrested. And he says, these are my friends. I wonder if I'll ever see them again. 
I'm promising you, there are probably people who were arrested that day when persecution broke out that he didn't see again. Not until they crossed over to the other side of eternity. And Philip himself had to run for his life. And it would be fair for him, even as a witness to these miracles, even as a witness to the coming of the Holy Spirit, very likely as a witness to Jesus Christ himself, Philip easily could have asked, was it even God's will for Stephen and I to be leaders? Because if it's God's will, why are we going through this? If it's God's will, why is it so difficult right now? Why did I just lose my friend? Why are my friends being dragged off to prison because of faith in Christ? And Philip, he might have wondered whether or not he was doing the right thing and in the will of God. And a lot of us have probably come to that moment of pain and confusion and difficulty too. Just that place of deep frustration with your life, with your circumstances, with the things happening to you, with things happening around you. Where it feels like you've got all this frustration piled up. You don't know where to bring it. We can bring this kind of frustration and confusion and pain to God. It's good to bring this to God. You realize God knows how we feel. God searches the heart. So he knows how we feel anyway. But it helps us when we bring this to him. So you are not being irreligious or rebellious when you tell God how you feel in prayer. God is a good father, and he wants us to say it, and it blesses us. Jesus said, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. It's an appropriate thing for us as Christians to allow ourselves to fully experience our emotions and then fully surrender to the Lordship of Christ. These two things are not contradictory. As a matter of fact, they're complementary. Because when we fully give our cares to God, he helps us carry them so that we can fully obey him. So we don't need to deny our feelings as strong as those feelings might be, and whatever those feelings might be. And at the same time, as we're experiencing these things, we continue to walk by faith. We should continue to walk by faith because God can use the things that we go through. God can use the things that we face to position us for opportunity. God can use our obstacles to position us for opportunity. And God can even use opposition to position us for opportunity. And that's exactly what Philip encountered. So let's read the next part of this passage, verses 4 through 8. Here's what we're told. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. God actually used the obstacles, and he used the, the, the opposition <clears throat> to push his people further into his mission. He used those things to advance them in his call. And when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he just kind of was standing on earth with everybody and just floated on up there so they couldn't see him anymore. That's, that's where he's waiting right now until he comes back. Jesus ascends, and he tells them as he's ascending, Sounds pretty important. Just imagine Jesus floating. And he says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Well, at this point in the church's history, they had only gone to Jerusalem. They were only on step number one. So when obstacles and opposition came, God used it to push his people out of Jerusalem and actually advance his mission and advance his call. 
used it to position them for greater opportunities. And Philip himself was at the forefront of that because God brought Philip to a place called Samaria. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this, but at this point, there had been tension between Samaritans and Jews for generations, probably over a thousand years at this point. And any kind of tension you can imagine was waiting there for them. Racial tension, religious tension, theological tension, probably some political tension. So Samaria itself was an obstacle course. But instead of running from this as if it were just an obstacle, Philip was called by God to enter into this and seize the opportunity. And because Philip obeyed God, incredible things began to happen in that city. People were set free. People were healed. An incredible move, move, and the gospel was preached to the Samaritan people for the first time. And it became a moment that was a, a ground for God's glory. That's what happened when Philip allowed the opposition to position him for an opportunity. And that's something that we can experience in our own lives too. But the question is how? How do we go from experiencing these obstacles, experiencing even opposition from other people and from the enemy and from ourselves at times, because sometimes we are our own worst enemies, how do we do it? Opportunity. If we want to experience this for ourselves, then there's something we need to learn how to do. And that's obey God even when it doesn't make sense. It's, in fact, I think it's fair to say obey God especially when it doesn't make sense. And we're going to see an example of Philip doing that, and then we'll unpack how exactly we can do this for ourselves. But first, let's read verses uh, 26 to 29. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So let's unpack what's happening here. There are incredible things happening in Samaria. I wanted to use the word revival to describe this. A lot of people are like, let's, God said revival. Lord, send it now. And all this stuff. And we sing songs about it. We want to see God move. Well, it's not really a revival because it's the first time it ever took place. It's just a revival. But anyway, whatever it is, it's, a revival is happening. Great things are happening. People are saved and transformed and delivered. There's fruitful ministry. The entire city is being changed. The bonds are being bridged between Jews and Samaritans for the first time in over a thousand years because of Jesus. Jesus is changing the culture of this city. Jesus is changing lives in this city. As a matter of fact, next week when I preach, I'll talk about one of the lives that might have been changed. We're not sure. That's next week. Anyway, great things are happening in Samaria. As a minister, as a pastor, these are the things that I dream of. As people who love God, these are the things we dream of, the things that we pray for. And in the middle of all this, in the moment that we're waiting for, God speaks to Philip through an angel and says, Hey, hey, Philip, it's time to go. Leave it all behind. And not only are you supposed to leave all of this behind, I want you to go into the desert. At this point in history, um, historians actually will tell us that uh, there were two roads that led from Jerusalem to Gaza. One was the major road. It was kind of like the highway. Everybody took it. One 
was an old, dusty road that no one used. And then the angel says to Philip, I want you to take your horse down to Old Town Road and ride it so you can't no more. And Philip might be thinking, why? First of all, I was chased out of my home. Now all these people are getting saved. And you want me to go where there might be absolutely no one there? And yet we see in the very next verse that Philip rose and he went. And I think all of us, as a matter of fact, I know that every single believer who decides to truly follow Jesus will reach a point in their walk with God in which he will call you to obey him in a way that does not make sense. This might be a way that is countercultural to the world, even though it's plain in the Bible. Or it might be a way in which God is calling you to advance his kingdom and serve, even when there's no benefit for you, even when it's difficult for you. God might be calling you to love people even when it's difficult. Did you know that there are difficult people to love? Did you know that we can be difficult to love? I can be difficult to love. I don't know. But raise your hand if you can be. Anyway, we know. We know. God might call us to do something that doesn't make sense, that doesn't feel good, that doesn't feel right. And I think most Christians would be willing to obey God as long as we know it's God. As long as we're clear that it's actually him speaking to us. But how do we know? How do we know that it's not someone fooling us, manipulating us, or our feelings speaking to us and that we're lost in emotion? How can we be confident that we hear God? I want to give us three tips this morning, and I'm going to list them in order of priority and importance. Number one, God's word. God's word has to come first because God doesn't change. We see this first in Malachi. We see it again in other places throughout the Bible. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. He is not moved. He is still reliable. He still loves you. He is still powerful. God is the same. And God's word was inspired by this God who doesn't change. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed or breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching and equipping and encouragement and exhortation and rebuke so that the man and woman of God can be equipped for every good work. So if God's word is the same and God inspired his word, then that means everything that's in the word is still the same. And it's still true. And it's still reliable. Everything that it teaches us about the will of God, the character, the person of God, it's still true and we can rely on it. Everything it teaches us about God's plan and his purpose and his will, his kingdom, it's so true. And we can still do it. And God's word is not subject to change. It's not subject to changing seasons, changing opinions, or even our changing moods. I don't know why I'm thinking about this. I, I started following Jesus again in a college ministry. And I thank God that there's not a ton of this. that I don't think any that I'm aware of. Where... You know, people in college ministry, they've got this thing where it's like, oh, God told me who I'm going to marry. Well, God told you somebody different last month and somebody else a month before that. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's your spirit. And it's subject to change. We need a standard that isn't subject to change. And God's word is that standard. And after we are acquainted with God's word, we can rely on God's spirit. And you might wonder, why would I list God's word a book that God helped write, but it's still a book, versus God's Spirit, who is a person. Well, it's because God's Spirit helped write God's Word. 
So when God's word leads us, God's spirit also leads us. And God has not changed, and he will not suddenly start contradicting himself. So the Holy Spirit isn't going to guide people to write back then that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And suddenly today in 2023, you are Jesus. That's not how it works. So the Holy Spirit, when he guides us, will not contradict what he's already told us in his word. And when we read the Bible, it'll help us learn what God actually sounds like. And reading the word helps us develop our spiritual discernment so that we know that it's the Holy Spirit who's guiding us. And that's important because one of the primary reasons that God sent his Holy Spirit to earth in the book of Acts, he came on Pentecost, is to guide us. Jesus 16, um, actually, John chapter 16, Jesus said that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit wants to guide us. And there are different ways that the Holy Spirit guides us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit guides us through his word. The Holy Spirit takes the written word of God in its original meaning and context and causes something to stand out to us that speaks to our personal life, our personal situation. One of those examples for me is Allie's name. You guys know that Allie, our daughter, she just turned five. Allie is not short for Allison, it's short for Aletheia. Aletheia is the Greek word for truth, and it came from John chapter 4, verse 24. The time is coming and has now come when the Father will seek worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. And we want Ali to be somebody to worship God in truth. The Holy Spirit brought that forth and made it stand out to us. That's why our little Filipino girl has a big Greek name. It's okay, but Ali, Ali. But that's the Holy Spirit guiding us through his word. The Holy Spirit can also guide us through a prompting, a thought might pop into our head. Hey, bless that guy. Buy him lunch. Treat her to a meal. Ask her how she's doing. Might give us a picture. Hey, look for a guy who looks like this. Tell him about me. He might give us a, a phrase. Jesus loves you. And he just tells you who to say it to. And that's it. Holy Spirit can lead us that way. Holy Spirit can also lead us by giving us a sense of God's peace. Paul wrote in Philippians, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, that when we lift up our cares and anxieties to God, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding can guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where obstacles and opposition push us off course, they press us down, they shake us up, but when the Holy Spirit leads us and we give our hearts to God, we can find peace that passes all understanding. That's a peace that comes when you, it doesn't even make sense to have peace. And God can use that peace to guide us. Sometimes the option that God is leading us to is the option where he gives us the greatest amount of peace. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit leads us. So we can rely on God's word and God's spirit. And we can also turn to God's people. I think it's Proverbs eleven fourteen that tells us, people fail for lack of counsel, but in a multitude of counselors they succeed. God wants to surround us with community because we're not called to follow God alone. We're called to follow him together. And he gives us community, spiritual leaders, spiritual peers. Even our disciples can speak to us sometimes and give us perspective and help test whether what we perceive in the word and what we perceive in prayer by God's spirit, whether or not it's actually God's will. And this is so important, in fact, that the biggest decisions of our lives are meant to be made in concert of all these things. God's word, God's spirit, God's people, 
As a matter of fact, when Jerrica and I were newly married in Hawaii, praying about when God would lead us to come to Las Vegas, we, are, we actually started to feel that he was calling us to move in less than a year. This was 2015. We thought, hey, God might be actually wanting us to go at the beginning of 2016. But that doesn't make any sense. Because at the time, when I was a youth pastor at our sending church, Pearlside Church, the youth ministry was growing rapidly. It was exciting. It was like Samaria. Jerrica had just got a really good job with good benefits. It made more sense for us as a couple to stay there. And yet, we couldn't ignore the parts of his word that showed God's people being uncomfortable and going forward for his mission. We couldn't ignore the movement of God's spirit. So what we did was we called our friends. We called peers and disciple makers. And specifically, we looked for people who we knew would listen to God and tell us the truth, but would also want us to stay. And we told two or three people each, and we said, hey, this is what we're thinking. Pray with us and tell us what you think. And unanimously, because we turned to people who hear God, who are honest with us, who cared about God's will more than what all of us wanted, they told us the truth. They said, you know what? I don't want to see you go yet, but I think this is the Holy Spirit. And I think it's time for you to go. And that's what preceded our move here in January of 2016. God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. And I think all of us, at one point or another, if not right now, will be called to obey God in a way that doesn't make sense. That's how we can be confident that we hear him. So which one of those things, if not all of them, will you lean to? Will you look to? We need to hear God, and we need to process what he says to us. But after he does it, we also need to obey. And we also need to push forward and advance his kingdom. And we need to be able to do it with a heart that's filled with faith. Because when we move forward in faith, open doors await those who are willing to walk through them. And I think God wants us to encounter that for ourselves. You know, Philip goes there by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He sees this chariot passing by. Philip, uh, in Acts 8.30, Philip ran to him and heard him, the eunuch, reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he, the eunuch, invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So in this place where there is no one, Philip meets someone. And this particular person that he meets is extremely desperate for God and extremely influential in the place where he came from. Ethiopia and Jerusalem are far apart. And this eunuch, a government official, he made the journey to seek God. And as he's coming back and leaving Jerusalem to go home, he's reading from the scroll of the book of Isaiah. Who here has read the book of Isaiah in its entirety? Yeah, is that book long or short? It's long. It's the longest of the major prophets. It's long and it's confusing. And it's long when we read it on our cell phones. So a scroll would have been even bigger. He's probably sitting in a chariot, bumping along an old country road. I would imagine so he doesn't get assassinated. Carrying this massive scroll on his lap. Reading wanting to know God. And that scroll would have been extremely expensive. Paper is expensive if you have a printer at home. This would have been on papyrus more expensive. Less supply. 
handwritten. He bought it because he wanted to know God. And God brought Philip to this person, to this opportunity. And Philip was willing to walk through that open door and found that opportunity waiting for him. So let's see what happens in verses 35 through 39. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. So as this story with Philip and the eunuch comes to a close, Philip prays with him. The eunuch decides to repent and make Jesus the Lord and Savior of his life. They happen to pass by a pond in the desert, which is not exactly common. It says, hey, baptize me here. And he gets baptized, and then Philip is carried away. Now, we don't know exactly what this means in Scripture, but in verse 40, I didn't include it, but it actually says that Philip just found himself in the next town, Azotus. Uh, it sounds like the Holy Spirit teleported Philip. We don't know for sure, but I like to think that's what happened. We're going to ask God in heaven, and I'm hoping that we can teleport there. Be kind of awesome. So Philip goes on to another town, and then he continues to preach until he settles down in the place where we meet him later in the book of Acts. And the eunuch, eunuch has an interesting history. Now, this isn't in Scripture, so we can't take this as 100% true. But it's believed across a consensus of ancient historians and scholars that this eunuch was actually the person who brought the gospel to Ethiopia first. And he very well might have been the person to start the church in Ethiopia. Other scholars, and the same ones, there's a community of academics who agree that the apostle Matthew, after leaving Jerusalem, actually went down to Africa. And he continued to go down, and he preached in Egypt, and he founded the church in Egypt. Then he went down even further to Ethiopia. So it's likely that Matthew the apostle, my favorite one, and the Ethiopian eunuch linked up and they led the church in Ethiopia together until Matthew was martyred there. So this random, seemingly random, but it was really God orchestrating encounter in the desert was an open door from God that Philip was able to access because he was willing to walk through it. And this same thing can be true for all of us. There are open doors awaiting those who are willing to walk through them and obey God even when it doesn't make sense. And, you know, we can talk about this all we want, but I figured it would be good for you to hear from somebody that a lot of us know and love. We see him all the time, but we might not know about some of the obstacles that he's faced because God called him here. But today, we're going to find out about some of those things. So, why don't you join me and give it up for our guy, Rye Maverick Jezreel Gary. Give it up for Mav. <laughs> As he's coming up, I don't know if you guys knew this. His first name is actually Rye, like the bread, R-Y-E. But... We'll go with Maverick. Mav, what's up, bro? Hi. Thank you for joining me up here. Of course. You guys know Mav. He's on our worship team. He's one of the leaders on our college ministry. Come, 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 come. Oh, we stand in the middle. Let's space ourselves <laughs> with the monitors here. So a lot of you might know, but Mav is actually from the Philippines. Yep. Have you ever wondered, however, why would, God, why would God call a student who was born and raised in the Philippines to Las Vegas? Well, why don't you tell us about that story and how that came to be? Yeah, so it was actually um, junior of high school. 
Yes, my bad. It was junior year of high school, and then for some reason, I knew that God's telling me to study abroad, to go abroad. And at that time, uh, I wasn't sure where. Well, New Zealand made the most sense because my uncle lives there right now. But again, it was during the pandemic, which means all New Zealand's borders were all closed. So I was like, okay, God, so where do you want to lead us? Um, long story short, um, we were like, okay, maybe U.S. because we visited the U.S. back in 2019. And I was like, God, okay, which goals? So it kind of boiled down to UNR and UNLV. And yeah, like after like just praying and just like consulting people, just reaching out, um, I actually reached out to Mark and Tam at that time and just lots of prayers, you know. Yeah, end up here at UNLV and I was like, okay, God, sure, you lead us here. I mean, you'll provide, but yeah. Right, so there's literally an obstacle, right? He was planning to go to school in New Zealand. Obstacle, global pandemic. Borders are closed, can't go there. And instead, God calls him to University of Nevada at Las Vegas. So an obstacle literally positioned him where he is right now. But there's also been another recurring obstacle, maybe even some opposition yeah. that you've wrestled with throughout your entire time here. Yeah, I, that. yeah, so that's actually with my finances. So literally, like, even before I came here to the U.S., like, we've already been struggling to, like, gather all the money that we need to even, like, have my papers document, my, my papers process and all that. But, like, it was just God's provision all throughout that led me being able to go here. But even if I'm here right now, so our family business back home, basically the nature of our business is that our clients pay super late. So there's no, there's no, like, it's not, it's not like, okay, you pay us in one month. But rather, it's like they make us do the work. And then we're not sure when they're going to pay us. So literally, like, we're always kind of, like, relying on that inflow that we don't know when it's going to come. So uh, even, like, since, since my whole time here in the U.S., I've been, um, I've been always, like, praying, God, my like, God, I know you provide. And, you know, it's always kind of, like, the provision will always be delayed. Like, in fact, right now, we haven't even paid for my tuition yet this past spring and, um, yeah, it was kind of hard because, like, after going through lots of things, just asking God, God, just, I thought you were going to provide. I thought you are going to take care of me. I thought you were going to be there for me. Like, why does it not feel it that way? But in spite of that, you know, like, God will always bring me back and be like, Mav, you know, I'm here. I'm taking care of you. Like, he'd always bring me back to what my mentor, my life group leader in the Philippines told me, like, Mav. Where God leads, he provides. Where he takes you, he'll take care of you. The same God who brought you there will be the same God who'll sustain you there. He'll even make you thrive. He'll even make you, make you thrive over there. So don't worry. So yeah, so that's pretty much like the recurring things that's, that I've been dealing with. Uh, yeah, in my life. Yeah, so this is the last two years yep. of wondering when the finances would come of how far away is Manila from Las Vegas? Do you know? I think 8,000 miles halfway across the world. So imagine yourselves <laughs> being 8,000 miles away from home, studying as an international student, knowing you need to pay for your tuition and not knowing when your tuition would be paid. It is a constant stress, a constant strain of obeying God even when it doesn't make sense. Now, Bav, you've obviously grown through that. And mm -hmm. tell us about something that you've learned along the way. Yeah, so literally, like, one thing I learned along the way is to be secure in God. 
regardless, to, to know him more all throughout the way. Because, you know, it says in Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6, like, trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge, to acknowledge him is to seek him, is to know him more, at least one person every single day, and he will make your path straight. So literally, like, just having that, just, just going through this time of, I'd say, um, refining, just going through the fire of just learning to have fresh faith in God in spite of what I go through, in spite of what my family goes through, you know. It just really taught me to just be so secure in God that regardless of what happens around me, I'm so sure that, yeah, I mean, the provision hasn't come yet, but he'll provide. I mean, that's been God's track record literally in the past, like, delayed, Provision may have came in the time I wanted to be, in my timing, but eventually God provided. So what's the use of worrying? What's the use of like, kind of like being uneasy when you know in fact that God is faithful? He's more faithful than you could ever be. So just rest in him. Amen. Amen. You know, this, uh, this, what you see is the result of a lot of wrestling and a lot of frustration, frustrated prayers, and tears. I have even found myself <laughs> getting worried about it, and it's not even me. I'm like, let's pray, man, let's pray. But God has obviously done incredible things in you, but God is even using your obedience to move through you. So tell us just one story about how God has used you since you've come here to Vegas. Yeah, so I don't know um, if you've seen him around, um, Sky, Sky Denson. So he's in Texas right now. Here's a picture. This is us too. <laughs> when he took me to the to one of the Golden Knights game because his favorite team is the Canadians. Boo. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Sky, if you're listening, boo. 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 Just, just kidding. We love you, Sky. <laughs> anyway, so Sky, um, actually met him through this program that we're both part of in the Lee Business School. And yeah, he was new in town, and I met him first day of class. And we were groupmates, apparently. And we just, like, started talking. And after class, we started walking back towards the dorms because he also lived on campus. And, yeah, one conversation led to another. And then it just came to a point where, he's, where he was talking about, like, his faith and how he has a church in Vegas. And he has a church in Houston because that's where he's from. I asked him, hey, bro, so do you go to a church here? And it was like, um, actually, I tried different churches. But, like, I'm, I haven't, like, really, like, settled in one. I'm like, dude. I go to the church. You want to come with me on Sunday? <laughs> so I took him that Sunday. And ever since then, you know, like he's, he's always been going. And at right now, like literally we've been, we've rocked through lots of like battles in faith together that we pray for one another that, you know, right now we're currently going through one-to-one. Um, but yeah, like literally Sky, just, just, just like having that faith of like reaching out, of like just asking those simple questions. It's not, it's not as hard as, as you think it would be as you think they would be. But like, just asking those seven questions, hey bro, we have a church. Hey bro, are you connected? Hey bro, like, you wanna go to church? Come along. You'll never know how far that's gonna come. And really like, dude, Sky's been awesome. I love him. Like, we're, I could call my brother right now. And like, really, our bond has been so tight. And just seeing how the God has moved in his life over this past year of him just being in Vegas. Not even a year being in Vegas. Like, God has moved so much in his life. Had it not been for, you know, like, like, and I'm now looking back, I'm like, wait, God, had I not obeyed you to just step out of faith and go to Vegas, like, I wouldn't have, would have made these impacts in the lives of, these people wouldn't have been close to you. It's crazy. 
there's another example of uh, your obedience to God and how that's been a blessing to others. Just sitting right there, uh, James. So God has used Mav to be a blessing to others. God has blessed Mav himself. And it's all because Mav obeyed God again and again and again, even when it doesn't make sense. And he's discovering, and I believe that you'll continue to discover, that open doors are waiting for those who are willing to walk through them. Can you join me and give a hand to Mav? So you see in Mav's story that obstacles, opposition, they are inevitable. And I know that some of us are facing some of these things, even now. And while it might feel like we're pushed off course by them, it might even cause us to wonder whether or not we're in God's will or wonder where God's will is. We can learn to obey God even when it doesn't make sense. For Mav, it was continuing to come to school here at UNLV and to engage and establish and equip and empower. But what is that thing for you? How can you obey God in a way that doesn't make sense? How is God calling you to walk with him? It might be to live in a way that is countercultural according to the world, but it's what God is calling you to do according to his word. God might call you to do the hard thing rather than the easy thing. He might call you to love in a way that hurts, in a way that's not beneficial. And yet it causes us to love more like Christ. So what is it for you? How will you obey God, even if it doesn't make sense? Why don't we ask God for ourselves in a time of prayer? Will you join me and bow your heads? Lord, we thank you that you don't disappear when life gets hard or confusing. Instead, you extend an opportunity for us to follow you through it. I believe, Lord, that you want to use some of the difficulty that we're facing right now to position us for opportunity, opportunity for ourselves and even in, in an even bigger way, opportunity for eternity. So, Lord, I pray that you would guide us into that. And I pray that you would deposit that in our hearts and give us clarity through your word, through your spirit, and through your people on how we can obey you even when it doesn't make sense. And I pray, Lord, that even now you would start to give us ideas on what exactly that looks like, what exactly that means for each of us. And Lord, even as those things drop into our heart, let it be uncomfortable. But then give us a peace that passes all understanding. In your name, Jesus. Amen. And I want to pray for one more thing this morning. If there's anyone here, you don't know how to ask that of God because you don't have that relationship with God. Well, that's available to you this morning through Jesus. And if you want to have that relationship for yourself, then I want to invite you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Anybody here? Praise God. I see you. Anybody else? All right. I want you to do this as heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Repeat after me. We're going to pray a prayer together. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess with your mouth, that God raised him from the dead, then you're saved. So that's what we're going to do together as the church repeats along with us. Say, Father in heaven, I believe that you sent Jesus, that he lived a perfect life, that he died in my place, and that he rose again three days later. Help me to follow you and live for you. In your name, Jesus, amen. 
Everybody can look up. If that was you, here's what I want you to do. Uh, go find someone who is a life group leader. Life group leaders say, what's up? Hands up in the air like you just don't care. Talk to one of those lovely people. Um, they'd love to help you get started in a life group. Uh, get started in something we call the one-to-one to walk through the fundamentals of our faith. And that's how our next steps look in this church. But why don't we all stand up together? You know, whenever life gets difficult and these obstacles and opposition comes, we have the benefit of being part of a community so we don't have to walk through those things alone. We can be with each other to process what the will of God is for us in each season of our lives, and we can move forward together. And I really just look forward with hope and excitement, even that in spite of the difficulties that we'll face, we also, when we walk through difficulty together, we'll get to celebrate the victory together at the end of it. So if you're going through something, reach out to your life group this week. Reach out to somebody you trust. Find the time to get together and process what God is doing in your life. And I know that open doors will wait for us if we're willing to walk through them and obey God even when it doesn't make sense.